0: Welcome, everybody. To the 10th episode of Comics in Black and White. We're finally in double digits, and uh, with me today is our uh, our second recurring guest, uh, our, one of our new regulars, Jay Loving. Uh, he was with me on the Love and Rockets episode a few episodes back, and we'll have more Love and Rockets plus many other good things in the future. And uh, joining us as a special guest this week is Garrett Spellman. This week about Punk Rock Jesus. We've actually planned out far ahead enough that you guys have known that for a couple episodes at least, so hopefully some of you have picked it up right along. It's not as heavy as some of the reads, uh, length-wise at least. As uh, Was it six
1: issues, Jay? Six issues originally, yeah. Published by Vertigo.
0: Yeah, so not – not, uh, yeah, and this is uh, – I think I mentioned this to you before, Jay, but this was actually one of the first comics that was recommended to me when I started getting into comics. Um, I had been getting a few things, some Batman, some X-Men, uh, but when I went to the first comic shop that I went to, they were having a sell – and uh, I said, you know, I'm getting these things, but I just want something different, so suggest anything. The first thing they actually suggested to me was Punk Rock Jesus. Found out later it's because uh, Sean Murphy, who uh, did the art for Punk Rock Jesus, uh, is in Maine. He actually lives, like, down the street from the store. So they had a good relationship with him, which is part of the reason why they were hyped on it. Um, I didn't check it out then. I didn't check it out until you wanted to do it for this episode. Um, but I'm glad I finally did check it out. I like Sean Murphy uh, from his other art, but it's good to read something that he wrote, too. Right. So you're the one that led us to this book, Jay why, why did you want to do this?
1: Because, several reasons, uh, some of which are quite uh, you know selfish in the fact that, that number one Sean Murphy is an artist I admire tremendously. In fact I will go you'll hear me say things like he's my favorite artist working in comics in contemporary comics today. I think he's one of the, one of the most amazing artists and, and gifted artists. And he's, what well, I think we see through Punk Rock Jesus, he also has a good storytelling
0: ability. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with his writing because I, I don't even know of anything else that he's written.
1: I agree. Yeah. Uh, he, some of his very early work, I'm trying to think of the name of it.
0: Um, like his early indie stuff?
1: His early, yeah, early stuff he did. Uh, he wrote right out of
0: he's, he's, uh He's currently doing the art for Tokyo Ghost, which I actually just read the first uh, seven issues of today. I'd read some of it before, but I picked up the train, and I had a couple of floppies, too, so I just blew through a bunch of it. Other than that, I don't... Is he currently doing any other titles? Do
1: you know, Jay? He is supposed to be doing... I haven't heard when it's going to be out. He's supposed to be doing the artwork for an arc of All-Star Batman. And Ooh, I don't know... I have not heard when that's going to be coming out, but he's he's slated to do that at, at some point. Or he will. If, if that has changed, I, I haven't heard. But, uh, he He's put out some teaser... Drawings on Twitter. I follow him on Twitter, and he's put out some different drawings. Uh, In fact, Garrett, you've even seen some of that, and you've posted it out on the Slack channel. So, whenever when that comes out, I don't know, but I'm really looking forward to that. I haven't seen any.
0: So it sounds like that should be coming up soon. Aside from that, he's done. It looks like mostly DC and Vertigo work. Uh, In the back of this book, it says that he's done titles such as Batman, Scarecrow, uh, Year One. Teen Titans, Joe the Barbarian, Hellblazer, and the miniseries *American Vampire Survival of the Fittest*. Um, so he's he's a uh, one of your favorite, if not your favorite, modern comic artist. Uh, I definitely put him up there. Um, what, what other reasons did you want to do this book, Jay?
1: I just think it's a very seminal work. Uh, it's I've heard people say that this belongs in the same category as *Watchmen* as far as you know how it influenced comics. You know, I don't know if I put it as far as that much of a game changer but bottom line it's just it's a damned intelligent book I think
0: yeah and, and it really I, is the way it's woven together
1: and I like that I mean you know this, comics run in all gamuts you know some you have your lighter type fare and then you have something that's but this is just you know can be really dense at times uh, I like some of the other things I like and that you like I know Paul so it's just <clears throat> it's just a I thought this would be something that would be good to share with the people that listen to this podcast, and you know maybe bring some other people into this world and in reading some of what Murphy has done, and reading some of the, some of the comics that are more, you know, that aren't afraid to look at some of the you know darker sides of human existence, and because and, you see a lot of that in this book. I mean, it really is not you know, it's not a fun book.
0: Yeah, it's it's a very thought-provoking, heavy book. Um... And it is one of those books, I mean, this really fits what our purpose for the show is, but it's also a very new book, and I don't think we've done a lot of books that have been very recent in this show yet. Um, and then Sean Murphy, of course, has a, a pretty good name, so this uh, you know I mean if anybody's checking this out because we're talking about Sean Murphy and talking about punk rock Jesus, I many may know Sean Murphy but not have known this because they didn't go back when I, I think he really got his name really big out there with uh, Tokyo Ghost but I think this was kind of the start of it where he was really making a name for himself uh, so hopefully this will open up people's eyes to you know to look at stuff differently and not be turned off by a book just because there's not color on the page and that sort of thing. Uh, so Gary, you wanted to join us, you asked to join us for this episode. What was it about this that, uh, that intrigued you?
2: Honestly, I am really into Sean Murphy's art, um, and I've heard a lot about it. Um, I really, really like, uh, punk comics, and so that drew me to it, also. And I mean, Jay, he turned me on to Love and Rockets as well, so, um, that's another punk comic. Yeah, it's really impressive, um, all of Sean's work, uh... And yeah, he's, like I said, or like Jay said, he's also writing an upcoming Batman arc. So, I figure may as well get myself familiar with his work, and it's good stuff. I mean, I say in the Slack channel that I don't like scratchy art, but Sean Murphy, he's definitely an exception.
0: Yeah, he's got quite a style to his art, um... And uh, the, the name has slipped my mind, but the, the colorist who does the colors on Tokyo Ghost, I was looking, I just uh, this couple days, or yesterday actually, it was my anniversary. So my wife and I went out and we went um, to Portland and we got sushi. And then we kind of went shopping around and I stumbled across uh, some really good deals on comics on my anniversary. That's pretty awesome. Uh, and I got the omnibus of Matt Fraction and David Aja's Hawkeye. And I had started reading Tokyo Ghost at that time. And uh, the colors in Tokyo Ghost always really stood out to me, and I realized that the colorist was the same colorist that did Hawkeye, and I looked a little bit more, and he, not only has he done those uh, those two, but he's uh, Seven to Eternity also, which I haven't read yet, but it's also written by Rick Remender, which Tokyo Ghost is, and then the, the colors are just amazing in both of those. It, those colors with Sean Murphy's art are just amazing. I really love the combo of those two.
1: It's Matt Hollingsworth is the colorist.
0: Matt Hollingsworth, that's it. Yeah, I can remember uh, the the Holling, and I knew that wasn't the all the last name, but yeah, he's really good. I was yeah. talking with uh, Nick Wetmore about him, and Nick said that he is his second favorite colorist, and he gave me a whole big list of colorists that he loves. I forget who he said was number one off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, he's he's fantastic. And you, it's funny you notice those details between comics when you really start spreading out reading different things and people point out certain details um, like we all read Valiant Comics Baron for example you start to realize that any book that David Baron colors is just really really well colored and it really adds something to the book so Matt Hollingsworth really adds that too but he just looks great with Sean Murphy's art so now that we've uh, talked about everything but the the story of this book let's dive in Jake <laughs> you want to kick us off
1: what is this book about well uh, the concept of this book is uh, the central theme is that this Network or entertainment conglomerate named Ophis, which I think is probably patterned off of Fox Entertainment, some of the bigger entertainment conglomerates, has come up with an idea for a new reality TV show. They have claimed they have retrieved uh, the Catholic Church, has given them permission to examine the Shroud of Turin, and they have retrieved the DNA of Jesus Christ, and they're going to clone. An infant, and that will be this reality show. We'll be watching this infant and his grow up with his mother and and other characters. They're living in a secure, enclosed compound, and we see a lot of uh, you know. uh, But the other primary character, who I think is actually the actual primary character of the story, is Thomas, who's from Ireland, former member of the. Irish Republican Army who has come to America trying to escape his past. He's trying to distance himself from his involvement in the the IRA because I won't go into details, but as we see in the story and as it unfolds, he has pretty horrendous things in his past that he's trying to get past that he feels like he needs redemption and forgiveness for. And that sort of drives what he does, his actions, all through. And he becomes the head of security, but of this project that you call j2 but he also has become you know he's pledged himself as to be the protector of this young infant who's ostensibly the clone of Jesus Christ who they name Chris but he's he becomes his protector and it really becomes a story about him I think in how he progresses the story. So that's that's the main scene. Yeah, I think that
0: uh, I think Thomas is really the the heart of the theme of the story whereas Chris is the character that drives just the story uh,
1: a variety
0: of different ideals from people. You have this media conglomerate that's just looking for ratings and to make money basically and so they they think of let's let's clone Jesus and raise him to be Jesus. Um, you see a lot of the public reaction to stuff and, it, it, you know, without getting into politics any specifically, but just with everything that's going on nowadays and reading this and uh, seeing the kind of the kind of the commentary it's making on the social side of things, it just stands out even more than when this was written. Um, right. Same thing with Tokyo. Go. Some of the comments they made that you look in the perspective of today and it's almost like they they saw more chaotic times coming. Right. And, I mean, the other progression we've been making in the world is just things getting more and more chaotic. Um, so I, I think it just goes to speak, though, that these concepts and ideals that they're talking about in a book like this, uh, they're just more universal to being tied to any kind of specific time. I and mean, obviously with this story, it's not exactly tethered down to a specific time. Um, I think just about the only complaint I had in the storytelling in this is they never really make you feel – rooted to where you are in the of things time wise what the world is like and at times it gets a little confusing like when they're in uh, what are they in like Manhattan or something like that but it's like a lawless yeah. flood zone they didn't set that up at all um, that, that's about the only complaint I have about this book is some of those things weren't set up it's just you run into them you're like okay well I guess this is how things are but aside from that uh, the storytelling was just great and the way um, I had expressed to you Jay that the on the fence about it because I felt like it was going too strong in one direction, but then as it just kept on progressing, they really threw the balance off one way, but then they pulled it back, and they did a lot of that, just pushing the balance back and forth, where you can never really feel everything, and it comes to a conclusion. So let's see. So we talked about they they clone from the the Shroud of Turin supposedly. Uh, who is what is this guy's name? The the head Slate. of J2.
1: Slate. Slate. Yeah.
0: He's a key character through this whole book, and he's a real bastard. Yeah, uh, yes he is. We we also get a little bit of uh, Thomas's backstory first. So you see his parents getting killed, and his uh, uncle bringing in the IRA to do right by his dad. That sets up Thomas, and then you jump into J2 and what they're doing, and they they do a pretty good job. Because I mean, this book is spanning 16 years, basically. Because uh, the character Chris is 15 at the end of the book, and he was not uh, yet born at the beginning of the book.
2: Roughly 15 years. I think.
0: Uh, so you're getting a lot of you know, J2. The protests against them. They said the tone of Thomas really strongly. They get the plan. They ask the doctor to uh, to manipulate DNA to make uh, this Christ clone look more like people want him to look.
2: Blue eyes, yeah. Uh, so
0: already there, you can see that the motivation of uh, of Ophis is purely commercial. I mean, they, they they don't care about truth at all. Like the reason they say they they say they're doing this is totally false. They're just doing it to, to get the ratings. Um, a lot of character building in the in the beginning. There's a lot of characters they got to build.
1: Murphy put some stuff in there that's sort of subtle, but uh, criticisms. For example, Ophis. That's the Greek word for serpent. So he's <laughs> he's obviously you know. Given his opinion of this this network conglomerate here, the, by giving him this name, that's then um, in, in that Greek word that that's the same Greek word that appears in a lot of uh, biblical translations for serpent. So I mean he's he's you know he's playing with all of these elements. And I'm just saying you know you were I was going to reiterate your point because it's a point it's about halfway through the book where and it's where Chris breaks off and becomes this punk punk rocker where it really looks like, and this is where you started having some uh, trepidation and it really looked like it's, it's (laughs) going to become just this harangue against, you know, certain things and it becomes, it's going to become this heavy handed just criticism of bashing of, of everything, you know, of, of this organized religion. But to, to Murphy's credit, he, he doesn't let it go there. You know, he, he keeps it balanced throughout the rest of it.
0: Yeah, and at that point, it felt very heavily like they were going to go that way. Uh, and it's it set up that way, basically, throughout the whole book. One thing to give a little perspective for people, and this was in Sean Murphy's note on the book, which I think comes at the end. I'm trying to check real quick of the the yeah. Trade paperback. Is it at the end of it where he talks about I, his uh, motivation?
2: Well, I, I have the um, deluxe edition right now. Um, and yeah, there's a page that tells him or tells the reader that he uh, got inspiration to write his own comic. Uh, when he was in a dumpster in Hollywood. So.
0: That's interesting. So that's actually different than the one in my book. My book is it's the trade paperback, and uh, he starts this little letter with, I stopped praying in 2003, and then he goes to tell the story of he had been working on doing this. He went uh, with a... He was living with a friend in Colorado, went to California on a surfing trip, and he was a devout Catholic, and uh, he ended up in the process of this trip uh, turning, I forget if he says he's atheist or agnostic, atheist, yeah, so he says he turned atheist, so this is being written by somebody who was raised and lived a devout Catholic, and then became an atheist, and that's what made the book fall into place, because he was trying to write it, and it wasn't really working, but he uh, wasn't going the way he wanted it to go yeah, so to get back to the book, we'll just kind of set up because I think when we get to that point where he turns into a punk rocker, that's really the key turning point of the story yeah so slate tries to uh tries to kill chris's twin that they don't let anybody know existed but the doctor do you do you recall the doctor's name
1: sarah epstein
0: so dr sarah follows him sees what's going on and that's all they showed there um then they jump back to what's going on the people protesting uh thomas kicking their butts uh some of those scenes are pretty entertaining especially because thomas is strictly non-lethal which later <laughs> on you to find out why um yeah so they just go through a lot of like office slate they're they really look bad uh they're trying to raise chris to think that he's jesus um to think that he could do miracles that causes problems public uh backlash causes them put uh to put him in a public school also going on this time it turns out that dr sarah had a daughter so that daughter is being raised alongside chris uh but the daughter goes home with sarah each night so she's not living at this j2 complex um but they're being raised together the daughter has no problem adapting to social environments when they go to public school whereas chris can't adapt plus he always has a big scary thomas with him Uh, he grows up the mom is having lots of problems because this is a screwed up environment for an 18 year old to be injected into so she's she's not a good mom but with the environment that is set up for her how is she supposed to be expected to like become an adult and be a good mom. So she wants to get Chris out of there. She gets more and more unhinged as it goes on. Um, her parents disappear. They never really explain that.
2: Yeah. So
0: it's, I mean, her life gets screwed up. Chris, uh, Chris grows up. They, they throw his, his mom out. Basically, Chris starts rebelling at that point, but then he starts rebelling by uh, educating himself about everything that he can. And there's, there's a lot of that going on. Um, his mom ends up getting killed she she joins with the uh, the religious uh what are they called do you do you recall offhand what they're called jay
1: they call themselves nac yeah nac new american christians
0: yeah yep. new american christians yeah so they're they're uh, representing the like extreme religious right and chris's mom ends up joining with them and then when they basically plan a siege to <laughs> go and get chris out of v 2 uh Chris's mom gets killed. And that's definitely the major turning point. That's where he is just ready to prepare himself to get out of there. And he starts listening to punk music, reading that's everything. Awesome. <laughs> and then he escapes and becomes a punk. So the funniest thing, this was one of the other parts that uh, we get to. And I'm kind of like, this is a little too easy where he just goes yeah. to this punk concert. and hey, I'm going to be your lead singer now. Okay. <laughs> but I guess everybody also makes it make sense. Everybody knew who he was. Cause it's actually the, what are these award shows?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why uh, punks would watch a, like, reality TV show. Because, you know, like, the the guitarist, was it? He um, he actually knew Thomas, and he, he seemed like he watched the TV show. That doesn't really seem very punk to me. Go for it, Jay.
1: All right. Yeah, but as far as the, the punk, I didn't have as much trouble accepting that, you know, believing that part of it was, okay, he suddenly becomes the singer for this punk band. Because yeah, I I mean, he's, he's 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 a – well-known character, and you know, hey, what band wouldn't like the publicity of having, um, you know, a, a notable person in, you know, simply for public relations? Especially when he's well, becoming a rebellious, of that type uh, And as far as, I don't know, the connection to Thomas, I know that fairly early on in the book, there was a scene where Thomas was talking to Tim, who is a character we really don't know much about. He, he shows up with Gwen, who's the mother. He was... Ostensibly there for, you know, uh, doing technical <laughs> support, but we don't really get. I don't, I don't really never get what his relationship to Gwen was.
0: He, he, he's just there for tech support in the show. I mean, he's just there working.
2: Yeah,
1: but they also they hinted at some sort of romantic undertones between he and Gwen. Uh, but really? there was a, a very subtle, very subtle. But there was a scene early on where he's talking to trying to. Make friends with Thomas, and Thomas is listening to punk. I forgot what the yeah. movie, name of the group was. Uh, um, so we see that he's had, yeah, he's had this. He, he has his background. So him knowing a punk rock guitarist doesn't sound. I mean, I, I can see the connection there. It was a little subtle, but there, there are, there are some unexplained things in this. Those type of things don't tend to bother me. I'm not the type of person that has to have every little thread uh, followed along in comics but um there there's some things that that aren't really fully fleshed out.
2: Well, the thing about that him joining that punk band. Um, he's supposed to be the second coming of Jesus, right?
1: That's what so, they're counting him as, yes.
2: Yeah. So like how punk rock is that to have Jesus rebel against, you know, everybody? I actually find that, you know, like, I think they would want that. Yeah. And, you know.
0: Well, yeah, of course they would, so they would. They would want it. They want the publicity. One of the things that I think is a little bit odd about the punk band is that they stress that this is the last punk band, which right. is one of those things where they're, like, throwing us out into this, like, time, but they, they're not setting up, like, why are they the last punk band? You know, what what is what is going on in the music world? They've set up with uh, Ophis and J2 that, uh you know, this is clearly like really being taken over by the i mean the links that they're going to go to for a reality show so that sets the tone for that but that's never really been set with music so then for them to suddenly say this is the last punk band um the the context of like why are they the last punk band why do they want to be a punk band do they really want to rebel if they want to rebel why are they taking the opportunity for something that's going to get them massive mainstream attention. Mm -hmm. If they're the last punk band wanting to rebel, why would they care about him? Um, There's a lot of stuff like that. It didn't bother me in the flow of the story at all, but I did think it was a little, you know, one of those things where they're telling a 15, 16 year story in six issues, they're not going to be able to tell everything. So you just accept that. But that was one of those where uh, one of the moments where it's just, okay, you just take that with a, with a leap of faith and move on. Yeah. They're pretty excited. Well, some of them are pretty excited to have uh, him, I believe it's the, uh, the drummer that wasn't too excited about it. Um, and it is his girlfriend that ends up dying in all of this process. So they, they become this massive punk band. Everybody's very excited. They're going to go perform in, uh, in, in Israel. So they're out to rebel. The, the NAC is out to, to stop them. They have run-ins with them. Stuff gets crazier and crazier. Um, Before they actually go to perform in – so they they go to perform in Jerusalem. So up up to that point, before before we get to that point, because that's definitely a big uh, changing point in the story. They're battling against the the NAC, dealing with the protests, all this stuff. Um, Is there anything in in that section of the book before they go to Jerusalem that really stands out to you guys?
2: Actually, I was going to mention that uh, the doctor's daughter – you know what I was thinking? That probably was his twin sister uh chris's oh i think she saved him
1: i think it's it is but without without question in fact she told says that later on in the book we've learned that yeah they explicitly
0: say that at the end of the book i don't think eric quite got to the end of it but uh yeah at the end they explicitly reveal that that is his sister
1: okay but i mean they it it seemed even when they first introduced the idea when she was saying oh yo uh chris is gonna have a playmate it was pretty obvious at least to me that that oh that she wasn't really pregnant that uh, this was – she had somehow
0: yeah, Yeah, because they go oh, yeah. up to her – yeah, it's like so nobody knows she was pregnant and carried a baby at a term, plus she was barren. She's like, oh, well, I'm a doctor. I figured it out. Right. Yeah, that so, was – So, yeah, I mean it was pretty obvious. It was pretty convenient for her to suddenly have a baby at the same time.
1: Right. Yeah. But I was just saying we were talking about the time frame. Yeah. For early on, and like I think it's on page six, when we first see our first drawing of Thomas as an adult, there's a billboard in the background that says, are you ready for the second right. coming – Christmas of 2019. 2019, so, yep. So this is roughly running from 2020 to 2035, 36. 35, yep. So near future, but not distant future, but, but, which allows him to do, I think, all that stuff, you know, like True. the flood plain or that people were displaced by the flood, a little bit of an there. <laughs> but as far as that section where they're battling against the NAC, it was integral to the story, but I don't think it was uh, – there's not a part that I found, you know, all that compelling.
0: Yeah, I think that section of the story was doing a lot to set the tone for what was coming next. The, right. the transition from Chris, be, you know, the, the conflict for a long time was Chris being in J2 and being contained in the conflict with his with his mother and then she's killed. Um, so a lot of conflict there. And uh, so the, the resolution was he, you know, escapes basically and then joins a punk band. So that's kind of set, just setting the tone a little bit. And transitioning to the the next major point of the story, where they go to perform in Jerusalem. So this is a huge uh, security risk. Um, they're risking you know their lives. I think it's very important uh, and all that. So right before they announce it, I think is the line of the book that really says it all, where uh, Chris is talking to Thomas and Chris is saying how important all this stuff is, and Thomas is uh, just want to protect him basically. Um, and he says to Chris, blind idealism did this to me and is doing it to you. There's still time for one of us to make peace. Um, so blind idealism is what set Thomas up to go through the life that he went through. You know, he was a kid and uh, his, his parents got killed. Uh, supposedly they were in the NRA and got, or I'm sorry, the IRA and got killed uh, by the other side. Um, we come to find out later on in the book when they flesh out all of Thomas's story, that they were trying to leave the ira because what life it was setting up for their son and it was his uncle that came and killed his parents uh and when he discovered that because he was a very successful killer in the ira and then when he realized that they didn't care about anything and they were gonna allow a school bus of children to be blown up in one of their attacks thomas tried to drive the the bus away It still blew up the, the back edge of the bus and killed one child. And then when the police got him in custody, they showed a videotaped confession from his father. So black and white evidence, like the absolute proof that his father was not trying to join in the NRA. He was, he had joined, but he was trying to separate from it. Um, so that really changed it all. And he has a vision um, telling him not to kill anymore. So that's why through the whole book. He, he won't kill anybody. Uh, so he's getting more and more conflicted because he promised Chris's mother to protect him. Chris's mother is the same that was his vision. It's you know his his vision. Years later, he sees Chris's mother and it's it's uh, this person you know to him. Um, so he's he's conflicted between he promised not to kill her. He's going to go to hell, uh, and now he promised Chris's mother to protect him, and it's getting impossible to do
1: both. Right? Yeah, it's. So that's why. I... I've always, I think it's, it seems clear to me that Thomas is the central character of this story. The book opens oh, yeah. with him and it closes with him. He's also the only one that really, I think, undergoes any significant change. Chris does, but he, you know, becomes rebellious based on his circumstances. But, um, right? It's, you know, it's not anything that we would consider, or I, I don't consider to be. What you, what you find in a lot of literature, where this character undergoes a lot of changes and has some revelation and, and understands a little bit about who he is, I don't think we ever get to see that at Chris. With Chris, he doesn't. Um, I'm not giving too much weight. He doesn't live long enough, you know, to have that revelation. Um, so it's really the story about yeah. Thomas, and you know, and it's a tragic, heartbreaking character because here's a man who's, like I said. Yeah. Was it like Chris, victim of his circumstances, of his upbringing, <clears throat> you know, brought to be a certain way, realized what he was doing, you know, moved, tried to move away from it, but still carried this tremendous, crushing guilt and remorse for his early life, and I think that's why he was so bent on protecting Chris and why he was he believed in Chris. You know, there was a couple times in that where people ask him do you really think that he's the, the second coming of Christ and yeah. Thomas always said yes I think that was what he was clinging on to because if if it's true then here's his chance at redemption and forgiveness you know without getting into and I don't want to get too much into the religious overtones here right? <laughs> but I mean that's you we well, can't escape it I mean there's they're, they're weaving through this, yeah. and you see that as part of Thomas's journey is, is what he's, he's trying to get you know move past and find some kind of peace for his former life. And it it's right. it looks like it's just a tragic story. In in so many ways it's tragic for Chris, it's tragic for Thomas, uh, it's tragic for Gwen,
2: for Gwen, yeah, uh,
1: particularly. <laughs> wow. And the other character that I was want to kind of ask people what do people think of this doctor, the Sarah Epstein who supposedly did know cloned the DNA what type of yeah what do you feel about her character
2: I was actually going to mention her and say that she really stood out for me because I think she was the big drive for like influencing Gwen and even Thomas and actually yeah Chris like when she showed him the scientific stuff so
0: yeah I think she was was next to Thomas I think she may have been the most important character in the book Oh, yeah. Um, she, I mean, she's she's driven by science. So she's driven by reason. Um, you know, there's, there's emotion involved in her throughout the book, but it's not like her based really. Um, she's more, wh- whereas pretty much everybody else aside from slate, I guess, is driven by reacting to their environment. Uh, so the reason that Thomas is, uh, is a more important character than like Chris is, Is Thomas has been on a path because of his environment his whole life, but he has perspective to see to see what's going on now, and not just write it. Whereas Chris, he's young, he hasn't had these experiences before. He's way too much just holding on to the wave of what's happening and trying to to write it as hard as he can. I mean, being extremely idealistic. And Thomas is he has the perspective to see how faulty extreme idealism is. Uh, Sarah is the other one that has more perspective on that. Uh, she's been through stuff. She, uh, had a failed marriage because she couldn't have a baby. That's a very traumatic Mm -hmm. experience that changed her life a lot. Um, her, her biggest goal is to produce, uh, this, uh, algae that is going to save the world, basically. Um, (laughs) You know, that that sets us out into the future some, too, where the, the world is obviously in worse shape. So her her purpose is noble, and she realizes that there are sacrifices mm-hmm. that have to be made because she has to be able to take advantage of this conglomerate uh, to be able to, to do this research. Their big threat on her is that uh, if she doesn't go along with what she has to go along with, they're going to kill all of her work, which wouldn't just be stopping her and then she have to start up again, but it would be setting her back for, uh, you know, like eight years, uh, you know, a long period of time. And she's so close. So that's a big turning point later on in the book is she accomplishes what she set out to do. I love the part towards the end of the book where there's almost nobody left at the J2 compound and Slate is talking to her and says, oh, you're almost done, aren't you? And she says, yep. She says, so I guess you and your... Uh, you know, your uh em- employees basically will be gone soon she says yep so she's almost out of there she's almost done what she's had to do and then that's when she's ready to lower the boom on slate because she knows that he attempted murder on a, a baby she rescued the 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 baby which this that's uh, clearly revealed later but it's pretty obvious early on uh, that that's what happened yeah. Um, so yeah I think she's a very important character and she gives a lot of perspective and you get caught up in the in the story. Like the f- first read of this story, you read through and you're caught up in the heat of everything that's going on. You know, it's all about you know the the mom trying to struggle to get out of there uh, with with Chris because she knows that this is a bad environment and it's, it's killing her. I mean, she was she was a kid when she went in there. Basically, she was just 18 years old, and they put her through plastic surgery and they they did all these things to make her fit an image. Never caring about the person. They didn't care that she was dealing with depression. They didn't care that she was becoming an alcoholic and all these different things.
2: They gave but, them her the alcohol. They gave them. Yeah, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Slate was slipping her the alcohol, which was supposed yeah. to be forbidden in the J2 complex. Sure. Um, so, I mean, they they were, they were never cared about her. They were setting it up to run her into the ground. That's just a plus for ratings, too. So you're writing all of that, and then, you know, Chris, his mom gets killed, He's just going to get out and burn the world down. And, you know, the, the point that uh, Jay and I mentioned, where I was a little iffy on the book, was where he breaks out and uh, I, I guess it was at the, uh, the Grammys. And then when he first joins the punk band, and he's just, you know, completely anti religion. I was worried that was going to be the trajectory of the book from that point. But that was just another point where it's the, this extremism, this tra- trajectory following the, his idealism that was too extreme, and you see Thomas pulling back from that. You would think that was along kind of a similar path that he wouldn't mind, but you, know, they, and you get that line just that you know extreme idealism is the, is the problem of everything. They go to Jerusalem. Thomas is trying to talk him out of it. Chris thinks that this is so important. They just got to at least do this one last thing. And that one last thing was the beginning of the downfall. Uh, The, the girl in the band gets killed. They barely escape. Otherwise Thomas has to kill people to save them. So now he's broken his vow. Uh, They, they go back. Chris ends up getting killed by J two or not J two. I'm sorry by uh, the NAC. So, I mean, that kind of comes, you know, full circle with, with Chris um, and then the end of the book it's, it's about Thomas and it's about uh, about Sarah. and I guess you know to an extent about Rachel, Rachel was the the one that survived. So what do you guys think about the conclusion? How does this pull everything back in?
1: Before I get to that, I just want to say'm um, I'm, I'm finding myself a little more critical of Sarah than the other of you two because I think with the exception of Slate, and we, Slate, to, yeah. and we kind of have to kick Slate out because he's really almost a character, kind of a stereotype of corporate. Yeah. yeah. He's a trope. Um, for sure. Of, of all the characters, I found her the least likable. And I, and it's kind of what you said. Yes, she's doing all these things trying to better humanity, but she ultimately puts her research into this algae that she's, she's trying to engineer, bioengineer this super algae that, uh, accelerates the uh, photosynthesis process, so that it will take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and create oxygen to counteract the greenhouse effect. And even at the towards that towards the end there, where she's talking to Thomas and she admits to Thomas that, you know, that Rachel is she saw Slate inject the baby with that sedative or whatever to try to kill it and then dump it. She admits all that, and it, Thomas is like, "Why didn't you tell me this?" Had we known this, we could have used this. We could have stopped this. And she says, all but says, yes, but it would have ended all my research. So, whether you consider it noble or not, she did. There's no getting around the fact, I think, that, yes, she did put her research ahead of the well being of some of these other characters.
2: Yeah, and that's right. Like, maybe I made like, a little too mind. harsh for that,
1: but that's like, you know. It,
0: no, I think you're correct with that. I. Yeah. Uh,
1: in her mind, she's
0: doing the no, the necessary thing, but she's risking the life of a girl that she's raised as her daughter that she knows Slate tried to murder. She's risking the life of Chris, who, you know, at the time when, you know, going back to the beginning, Slate tried to murder a baby. Like, how is this kid safe? You know, and that kid's a baby. Um, you know, the, the, the life of, of Chris's mother, who ends up getting killed, Uh, and pretty much everybody, you know, there's no proof, but it's obvious that Slate intentionally shut that, that, uh, the security door on her and killed her.
2: Oh yeah. Um, No, it said, said it in increased pressure on the screen.
0: Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I mean, she did the thing that she thought was, was a necessary thing, but you know, if you look in the the grand scheme of things, you could say that the right and wrong of, of her choices, like, well, if this is going to save the world, then, you know, when you get to the end and that's the end result, like, okay, maybe that was worth it. But when you're looking at the choices all throughout, like, all throughout, she's making choices that are not morally correct choices. And, you know, how similar is she to Slate? Like, Slate is very intentionally, like, just does not care about morals. But she's sacrificing morals all throughout, too. She's just, she's not the one making the decision to murder a baby. But, she also knows that somebody attempted murder on a baby and doesn't do anything cuz she doesn't want to disrupt her funding. So she is she's she's a pretty despicable character yeah. when you really look at it.
2: I think Slate would have killed the baby had he known. That's the thing. Like had she told him?
1: Oh, he if probably he could, well, yeah, probably would, but uh... I mean, it's it's hard or to even hurt. It's hard to say. Well, yeah, but maybe well, because she knows to... that he attempted
0: murder, she could have gone to the authorities with that, and Slate would have gone to prison for attempted murder.
1: Possibly. That, that's I mean, the difference. But there were no witnesses. See, there's no there was no evidence unless she could have gotten some. So
0: uh, uh, she was. Yeah. She, everything is being recorded. Like I assumed that her being there, she was recording what was going on. Because at the end of the book, she had positive. proof that he did it in some way, shape, or form, and I don't know. Either do way, mean? yeah, she, she definitely was not a, a purely positive character.
1: No, I, I don't I like... want to paint her as evil either, but I mean, it's like it's, yeah, there's a lot of moral ambiguity with her character, it, which there is with all of us and in in life. Everybody. At all. So I, I wasn't trying to you know make her out as to be a anti-hero or an evil person, I'll just, you know, point out it's like you know, there are not really many even Thomas who's I think is the most yeah. admirable character this you know, he's not without his flaws. He's just done things and he would do things again. And we see it at the end. <laughs> Although it you know, his the last act that he does in this book. <laughs>
2: um,
1: while it may seem like, you know, justice being served, you know, is it you know, is it really? How do you how do you think about it? You know, how do you approach that?
2: I really want this to be made into a movie. <laughs> it would be a good movie, I, I, I feel know. like. I haven't really thought
1: about it that. I, I mean, it may or may not. Oh, yeah, it's very possible. It could be.
2: It'd either be
0: really good or really bad. It would depend on <laughs> who got their hands on it.
2: Yeah. Because, like, I feel like Sean Murphy, like, the way he transitioned from, like, past and present, he um, it kind of felt like a movie to me, and uh, just it it feels really real, like just the whole story, and like you said, just all the characters, they all have you know human traits that are relatable. Um, so I feel he did really well with that.
1: I agree. Like as I said at the beginning, I think this is just it's a damned intelligent book.
2: And oh yeah. It's...
0: Yeah it when it comes down to it i think that you know like i said that one line sums it up but this book was very much exposing what happens with extreme idealism we didn't even get that much into talking about the nac but there are some strong characters in the nac the the one woman who is the the figurehead of it in the book she's just another example of the uh the extreme idealism and as we read through this book uh some things seem obvious like you know the NAC, they're bad because they're opposed to to J2, which we, we know isn't really good necessarily. But uh, our protagonist is is aligned with J2, so we're set up to feel that way to start with. Um, and just throughout it, we're we're always kind of being shifted around with you know, okay, well this person is is too extreme, so there's something bad there. And it's it's shift, you know, the whole book is kind of shifting it around. The one person that's always kind of the, the more steady thread throughout is Thomas. And he's lived through extreme idealism and realized how corrosive that is. And he's just trying to protect what he can around him for, from what he sees as important. Um, when we got to that point where, to me, it became clear that that was the central theme and purpose of the book – that's when I, it went from being like, okay, well, this is an interesting story, to like I had a lot stronger feeling about it at that
1: point. I yeah, I agree, and I think that's I think that's what Murphy was trying to accomplish with this. Uh, oh yeah, like I said, you know, we you talked a little bit about his personal journey. You know, he he could have made this, you know, and I'm sure he was trying to work out in the writing of this, work out a little bit of his own, you know, journey and through life and writers do that that's what I mean that's why they become writers to begin with is to try to work out things in a lot a lot of, I don't want to say that Thomas or, or was necessarily a biographical character but I think a lot of what I suspect a lot of what Murphy was dealing with himself got woven into some of the characteristics of, of Thomas kinda of what he's going. Yeah, to definitely think.
0: it definitely seems like it especially with him saying in that uh, little uh postscript note that it was him having this conversion from being a devout Catholic to being an atheist that made his ideas for the book fall into place like that falls into i mean that's yeah I, I, Thomas I guess is still a devout Catholic through the whole book, but uh he sees the flaws in in the extremity of things. Yes, this this was a good one, Jay. I'm glad that you wanted to do this because this was a book that I've known about for a long time. But I don't know if I ever would have read it if you didn't uh, bring it up for this. I'm glad I did now. Um,
1: yeah, thank well, I you. I enjoyed it, and I hope other people, you know, listen to this and have an interest to it. You know, and I would say to anybody who's potentially thinking about it, don't let the religious aspect of this put you off because it's not really, yeah. you know, Murphy's not pushing one agenda here one position on anything yes there's some religious aspects to it it's it's part of the nature of the story and you can't get away from it but it's not anything you should be afraid of
0: yeah i definitely agree with that
1: if you like good good storytelling that's complex intelligent and if you like some of the most sublime artwork (laughs) that you can possibly get um I, I can sit here and talk all night about Murphy's artwork. It's just, it's, it's <laughs> stunning to me. Well, you can see what it does, how it influences, especially with Garrett, because here's, Garrett has, has been on record for saying he doesn't like some of the, you know, more, um, I don't want to use the word sketchy. Right. Yep. I hate this word sketchy because that's, that's a, totally not, but you know, not very, not hyper realistic art. But yeah. he's he's also preferred. He doesn't prefer black and white comics over colors. So, but to get him for someone like that to become enamored with this book, I think speaks to its appeal. And yeah, uh, um, that's good. Murphy just uh, just uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna shut it now before I start gushing over Sean Murphy. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I just I really I like about yeah. about
2: yeah, the art is just yeah. Like uh, sorry i um, I don't know how much longer we're doing this, but um, there were a few things that I noticed about the art that I thought were really cool. Um, like, for example, you know that page with the billboard, and it transfers from Thomas when he was young transitions right. from Thomas when he was younger to when he's older. Um, I noticed on his face there's actually fingerprints for like dirt. That is a very cool detail.
1: Right.
2: And I think he's the only character with the fingerprints on his face. I don't,
1: I don't recall seeing any others. But.
2: Um, and then, yeah, like sometimes he had paint strokes or, like, you know, just strokes across the page. Um, he loves, and you can tell, he loves drawing cars and uh, vehicles.
1: Yeah. Oh, and well, certainly motorcycles, too. You see that also uh, – uh, that's in uh, Tokyo Ghost oh, yeah. you've noticed that uh, yeah. like, he's, he's, he's got an affinity for motorcycles he loves to draw those
0: yeah Thomas and uh, and uh, Led in Tokyo Ghost like both big huge guys on badass motorcycles pretty <laughs> yeah. much sums it up yeah but uh, but I do think this is going to be where we're going to wrap it up for tonight. We'll have to have a whole episode dedicated to gushing over Sean Murphy's art at a later time. <laughs> um, so Absolutely. you can, uh, you can tweet the show at CBW podcasts. Uh, Jay, what's your
1: Twitter handle? I'm at Jay forgets.
0: And Garrett, what's your Twitter handle?
2: It is yo, Gaza, Gaza. Um, kind of like yo, Gabba, Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I um, I'm on Twitter at who's Paul uh, you can find us all if, if you're in the slide group you know the slide group you know you can find us there but we're also on the Valiant Central Facebook group uh, to go along with my other podcast you can email us at podcast at outlook.com if you have any ideas uh, or questions comments that sort of thing uh, next time we will be reading Essex County uh, Jay and Ronnie should be joining us for that uh, it'll definitely be Jay and myself Uh, but so check out Essex County, great Jeff Lemire book. Uh, Jeff Lemire is one of my favorite writers. I think a lot of us feel that way. And that's, uh, that was, I think the book that definitely put me over the top with Jeff Lemire. Um, so until next time, uh, check out some Essex County. And then after that, we're going to be getting into a a big old podcast. A bunch of people want to join up for elf quest. So coming a little bit down the road, we'll be having some elf quest. So, uh, until next time, thank you again for joining me, guys, and have a good night. Thank you. Have a good
1: night.
2: Have a good night. That
1: was pathetic.
2: Ooh. Nerdy Legion.
0: All right, and now this is where uh, where my producer puts in some good outro music.
2: That doesn't really seem very punk to me.
0: Now I'm in Maine, far, far away from there. Again, I'm
2: going to rip your throat out. fingerprint on his face
1: Secret knowledge society
0: so I sure were selling going in Texas but I had tacos.